Here we stand at the beginning of another Advent season and another church year. The Christian writer C.S. Lewis suggested that seasons exist as a way to fulfill both our love of change and our love of permanence. In our seasons, we are constantly changing. Today, we're growing older, maybe wiser. The weather's getting colder. Some of us might be getting our Christmas decorations out of storage. And in the church, we're turning our thoughts towards the penitential and hopeful season of Advent. But the cyclical nature of seasons gives us some permanence, too, to these activities, giving our lives a kind of sacred rhythm. Today, it grows colder, but in a few months, when we're good and tired of winter, it will get warm again. We grow older, but there's always new life around us. And every year, we relive the story of God's people, from Jesus' birth to his death and resurrection, from the creation of all things to the end and rebirth of all things, from sin into new life. So when we're in the church doing our thing well, we should be able to look all around us and see the rhythms and seasons everywhere. Even as our lives change, we'll hear these familiar Bible stories differently. We'll come back again to the same passages, songs, and symbols. In Advent, for example, we come back every year to themes like waiting, new light breaking on the horizon, the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. Same stories heard by the same you, but you're a little different every year to hear these stories. So in this particular cycle of Bible readings, and this is a cycle that resets itself every three years, we actually start out with the end. So this reading here is a bit of a doozy to start off our new year with. It's kind of like those movies that throw you right into the middle of an action scene and then spend the next hour backing up to explain how we even got there. But Luke is answering for his readers some questions of timing. When will Jesus come again? How will we know that the time has come? So Luke's gospel does provide an answer to these questions, but I don't think it's really in that specific way that we want. What we're looking for is those things that come with stickers that you can put on your calendar, like when it's time to take out the trash or when it's time to renew your prescription or go to the dentist. And we're kind of hoping Jesus will give us the same thing, a clear timeline with a red exclamation point on T minus zero so that we could really prepare well. We could put together a spiritual training plan, like a marathon training plan that would count us down to the big day. But Jesus is not so clear. The only thing the Bible is clear about is that we just don't know and won't know. We don't know the hour or the day. I think that we might see these signs of Jesus coming, but then again, the signs that Jesus gives us, war, environmental destruction, and suffering, have been with us for all time. When do we know when they've reached their peak and Jesus comes again? When we turn on the news every day, we wonder, is this what you meant, Lord? The good news we receive in the very last part of Luke's gospel for the day is that we don't need to know the exact time. It's not a puzzle we're supposed to figure out, you know, find the 12 hidden clues in the Bible and divide them by seven. We just need to stay ready. Ready, not passing the time, but filling the time. But waiting can seem like a dry desert between where we are and where we want to be. We've certainly spent plenty of time doing this fruitless kind of waiting. Anyone who's been to the DMV recently could probably recall this. But waiting on God's promise is or should be different. 
Because when we're waiting on God's promise, we're watching the growth of a seed that's already been planted. We're waiting on the completion of a promise that we've already had a glimpse of. Waiting on the kingdom of God is difficult enough most days. It can seem an impossible lifetime away, a matter too big to contemplate in our cycles of waking and sleeping and meeting each new day. But most of us are also waiting for God in some smaller, more immediate way, a sort of practice of waiting for hopes that might come to pass more immediately. A loved one waits expectantly for news of an illness, you hope for a job opportunity, and the world dreams that the delicate peace we create will this time be a lasting peace. Henry Nouwen, a Dutch Catholic priest and spiritual writer, says that waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It is always the movement from something to something more. We are waiting because we have a sense of promise about the thing we are waiting for. Waiting on God, he defines, in four aspects. First, our waiting is filled with a sense of promise. God's word to us places tiny seeds in our hands and gives us a glimpse of the kingdom in which these tiny seeds have grown into great trees. Can you imagine how winter would feel if you didn't know that spring would eventually return? If you had never been part of that transition before? The brown leaves on the ground and the bare branches would turn your heart as cold as the wind outside. But as Christians, we know about springtime and we know to tell the world. In communion, we have a little taste of the green buds returning to the trees and knowledge of the blooming flowers that we wait for. Even if it's cold outside now, we know it won't always be. Waiting, beloved, is hopeful. The second characteristic of waiting is that it's active. Most of us think of waiting as something very passive, a hopeless state determined by events totally outside of our hands. The bus is late, you can't do anything about it, so you have to sit there and wait. It's not hard to understand the irritation we feel when somebody tells you, just wait. Words like that seem to push us into being passive. But waiting in scripture is never passive. Instead, we are fully present in the moment, standing on the ground where God's seeds are growing. We're standing patiently because we know we are already in the right place. Impatient people believe that the real event is happening somewhere else and therefore need to go elsewhere. The present moment is empty. Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there, nurturing and caring for what God has already given us. Waiting, beloved, is patient. Waiting is also open-ended. Open-ended waiting is hard for us because we tend to wait for something very concrete, that job promotion, for disease to heal, waiting until we've saved up to buy the house we really want, waiting for the weather to clear up so we can go outside and do the things we really want to be doing. We are full of wishes, suggestions to God of how we'd like things to turn up, and the wishes get tangled up in the waiting. For this reason, most of our waiting is not open-ended. Instead, our waiting is a way of controlling the future. We want the future to go in a very specific direction, and if this doesn't happen, then we are disappointed, even despondent. We say, your will be done, but often that's with a strong hint to God that let the thing you want become the thing that I asked for. 
Instead, open-ended waiting is filled with hope, which is not the same thing as being filled with wishes. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled, but fulfilled according to God's promises and not just according to our wishes. In opening ourselves up to the fullness of God's promise, we are laying ourselves out vulnerable. But we are also opening ourselves up to possibilities beyond our expectations. To wait open-endedly is an enormously radical attitude toward life. So too is trusting that what will happen to us is far beyond our own imaginings. So too is giving up control over our future and letting God define our life, trusting that God molds us according to God's love and not according to our fear. Hope, beloved, is always open-ended. Finally, waiting is communal. It's one of the reasons that the early church drew together to await for Jesus to come again and to help each other keep alert until that time. Our community is built around support, celebration, and affirmation in which we can lift up that which has already begun in us. Our community is gathered around a promise and affirming for one another that something is really happening. And our community is why we don't have to be afraid when Jesus tells us to always be on our guard. Maybe left to wait for the promise on our own, we would falter and begin to question if it's really worth it staying awake alone in the dark hours of the night. But in the Christian community, we are not alone. When one of us begins to grow tired of waiting, we have the support of the whole community to get back up again and gather around the promise anew. So the whole meaning of the Christian community lies in offering a space where we wait for that which we have already seen. It is the place where we keep the flame alive among us and take it seriously so that it can grow and become stronger in us. In this way, we can live with courage, trusting that there is a spiritual power in us that allows us to live in this world without being seduced constantly by darkness, lostness, and despair. That is how we dare say that God is a God of love even when we see hatred all around us. That is why we claim that God is a God of life even when we see death, destruction, and agony all around us. We say it together. We affirm it in one another. Our waiting, beloved, happens together in this place. In closing, I will read Psalm 130. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. My soul is longing for the Lord more than watchmen for daybreak. Let the watchmen count on daybreak and Israel on the Lord. Because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. Amen.